This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm 38. A couple of years ago, uh, a man that I know had committed adultery and asked if I could meet with him and his wife. When we sat in my office, the couple told me the story of what had happened and then described the time between when the sin was committed and when the husband finally confessed to his wife. First, he withdrew from his family. He worked every overtime shift that he could manage. Then he sank into depression. He lost his appetite for food. He lost over 30 pounds. He couldn't sleep. He was constantly exhausted. Finally, he grew so sick, he was admitted to the hospital. When the hospital released him, he found himself at the end of himself. And then one night, he confessed his sin to his wife. As they shared their story, they traced every symptom of suffering back to the starting point of his sin. He had hardened his heart against God and then hidden his sin. He was tormented in every part of his being, his mind, his emotions, his body, his spiritual life. His soul was in a sin-sick state. John Calvin wrote in his preface to his commentary on the book of Psalms, I've been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there's not one emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Some of the psalms give us a melody for the brightest of days. Others teach us to sing through the darkest of nights. If Calvin is correct, and the psalms can be called an anatomy of all parts of the soul, I think Psalm 38 could rightly be called an anatomy of confession. Because what we find here is the structure and internal workings of what is happening in the parts of confession of sin. We see what's happening in the soul of David as he feels crushed under the weight of his sin. And that leads him to confession of sin. I want you to just look with me for a moment at the superscription above verse 1. The superscription is different than the words above that, which is added in our time just to title the psalm. But these words you see in all bold, that is part of God's word. Those are actually written in the text. If you have a copy of the ESV, you'll see these words. A psalm of David for the memorial offering, which is fine, but the literal translation of that is a psalm of David for causing remembrance, for causing remembrance. Remembrance. What is it that this song wants us to remember? Perhaps David wrote it so that as he faced temptation to sin in the future, 
he would remember its devastating effects on his life. Or perhaps he meant it to be sung in calling on the Lord for him to remember mercy toward his people. Surely one of the reasons that he wrote this is to prepare his generation, future generations, you and me, how to sing in our war with sin. It could even describe your life right now. My prayer is that as we open up God's word this morning, that it would be two things. It would be both a mirror, like Calvin said, and a light. I pray that the mirror of God's word would show us our need for a Savior. And that the light of God's word would illuminate the saving work of Christ our Savior. Psalm 38 was written by King David under the crushing conviction of sin. There's not one area of his life that is not affected by his transgression. And so he brings before God every area of his life. The psalmist is feeling the weight of his guilt, experiencing mental and emotional turmoil, which is all magnified by physical suffering. If ever a psalm was designed to warn us off sin by exposing its consequences, this is it. This song instructs us what to do when we find ourselves under conviction of sin and gives us a song to sing to help us confess. So in this anatomy of confession, we'll see first the burden of sin. Second, the scope of sin sickness. And third, the hope of salvation. Would you stand with me once more as we read together Psalm 38. This is God's holy infallible, inerrant word, meant to bring us life. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down upon me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head, Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares, those who seek my hurt speak of ruin, and meditate treachery all day long. But I'm like a deaf man I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I've become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. 
It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they're mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The song begins with David singing of the burden of sin, verses 1 through 8. The psalmist pleads with God not to rebuke him in his anger or discipline him in his wrath. The emphasis falls on the words, in your anger, in your wrath. Because this is not a plea to be exempt from God's discipline or that his sin would simply be overlooked. He asks only that God's discipline would be tempered with mercy and with love. Imagine your son or your daughter coming to you to confess some wrong that they've done. And as you sit down with them, they begin the conversation like this. Mom, Dad, I know that I've done wrong. I've sinned against you and God. And I deserve discipline. And so as I'm punished, which I deserve, please punish me out of love. Kids, have you ever asked your parents something like that? Parents, is it hard to imagine them coming and asking something like that? But that is exactly what David is doing here. In verse 2, he describes metaphorically, I think, how he is experiencing the discipline of God as the arrows of conviction have sunk into his heart. While he feels the weight of God's displeasure. And we discover in these opening verses that the source of all of David's trouble, because it sounds like it's all physical, but it's much deeper than that. The source of all of David's trouble is nothing less than his sin. Like my friend who was, uh, whose sin was affecting him mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, David's sin is wreaking havoc in his life. Twice, he traces the root of the problem to his sin, saying this is all because of my sin in verse 3 and because of my foolishness in verse 5. Verse 4 begins to detail the sore condition that David is in. The sin that surely in the moment felt light as a feather, but now is crushing down on him. And as we look at the weight of this burden, notice how it presses down on every area of his life. First, his body, verses 3 to 5. The phrase he repeats in both verse 3 and 7, there is no soundness in my Flesh. He's explaining how his body is suffering. That's his inclusio. He says it at the beginning and the end. Everything in the middle describes that problem. No soundness. This is poetry. And so we're not sure if he's speaking literally or poetically. But either way, his body is being affected. He says, there's no health in my bones, verse 3. His wounds stink and fester. What a gross word, verse 5. 
even his posture is affected. It seems he's bowed down and prostrate. He's too weak to stand upright and walk through the kingdom. His body is being affected. Now, I want to pause for just a moment here and protect us from the error of always equating sickness to our sin. Um, this is an errant teaching that you will hear on YouTube. Um, the suffering that David is experiencing, he knows, is because of his sin. Um, in this case, his sickness is tied to it. Most of our sickness and suffering is not. There are multiple places in Scripture where we see this as the case. In the Old Testament, we consider the life of Job. Scripture describes him as a blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil, Job 1.8. Yet, think about how much incredible physical pain Job suffered. The New Testament records the story of Jesus being asked by his disciples if a man born blind was that way because of his sin or the sin of his parents. And they were trying, what the disciples were trying to do was connect all sickness to sin. But Jesus replied in John 9, 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the glory of God might be displayed. And of course, the most perfect example we find is in the life of Christ, the sinless one who suffered much. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. Yet in this case, in David's life, uh, his sin was making itself known in his body. We see also in verse 6, it's affecting his mind. Verse 6 shows us there's a serious depression that has set in. The king goes about mourning all day long. Now, the opening of Psalm 38 and the opening of Psalm 6 are word for word identical. But there's a difference because in Psalm 6, which is the companion to this, we read that David would flood his bed with tears at night. Well, here the depression is not only experienced at night, but round the clock. His mind, his emotions are affected. And then finally in verse 8, we find the symptoms of sin run as deep as David's heart. He says, I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. That word tumult is the Hebrew word for uh, growling. There is weakness in his body and heaviness in his mind, both springing from this growling anguish in his heart. And as we feel the weight of our brother David and all that he is experiencing, let us take note of where his confession begins. He begins in the right place by going to God. Scripture teaches us not to try to hide our sin from God with man-made fig leaves, but to bring our sins to God. In these opening verses, there are physical, mental, emotional troubles that are real and present. But David's greatest problem is his sin. Martin Luther wrote, To truly feel one's sins and despair over a guilty conscience is torture above all 
torture. There's nothing worse than the sickness of soul that sin brings. Haven't you known that to be true? The morning after sin's been committed where you just feel so low. In no way does Scripture minimize the pain and suffering in our lives, yet the greatest problem that each of us have is our sin. So let me ask even now, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and each of us are born under the weight of sin, separated from a holy God. So friend, are you still carrying that burden, or has Christ taken it from you? You see, this is good news, that Christ took our burden of sin and carried it all the way to the cross so that you and I no longer have to feel its crushing weight. He died in our place to cure us, to heal us from the sickness of sin, to bring healing to our souls. I loved as a boy singing, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's only one way to be freed from the burden of sin. There's power in the blood power in the blood. The second part of this psalm unravels the scope of sin sickness, verses 9 to 16. 9 to 16. If the sin of David was a rock thrown in a pond, now the ripples of his action stretch out on all sides. The language he uses in verses 9 and 10 is nothing short of haunting. It's as if we hear the life drain out of him. Sin had promised him fulfillment and joy, but has only given him emptiness and grief. David is longing for help and relief from his condition. He sighs from utter exhaustion. His heart throbs in anxiety. His strength fails. In the light of his eyes, the life that once burned bright in him, he says it's gone. The ripples will not stop. And the sin of David did not affect only his life and relationship with God. It also affected his relationships with others. Here we find his friends flee while his enemies scheme. First group of people that enter the stage are those close to David. His dearest friends. His closest companions. And now they want to keep a Far distance from him. The song doesn't clarify why. Perhaps they were wounded personally by his sin. Or maybe they just saw the effect that it had on David's life. And and they want to just back away from the relationship. But his friends flee. The next group that enters the stage are his enemies. This group of people who stand against David. Think of ways that they can capitalize on this condition. They lay their snares hoping to catch him in a moment of weakness. They cheer on his pain. Perhaps they arrive with accusations that what David has done, he does deserve suffering. Maybe there are people on social media happy to retweet and share his misery with the world. They're like lions crouching at his door, hoping to pounce him at any opportunity. And so David stands... Seemingly alone as his friends flee and his enemies scheme. Yet, while the ripples of his sins scatter, the psalmist did not forget 
what he knew to be true about God, his theology kicks in. The first beam of light that breaks through the clouds, you can see it in verse 9. Yes, he's longing, but he knows that his longing is seen by God. Sure, he's sighing, but he's convinced that his sighs are heard by God. He does not doubt his relationship with God. Instead, he calls upon the one who heard Israel's groaning while they were in Egypt and asks him also to listen to his servant David. By the time we get to verse 15, more light washes over him as he prays, For you, O Lord... Do I wait? It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. He keeps using the name of God, which he'll do later. I just was thinking back over verses 3 through 8. There's no mention of God anywhere as David details his condition. And then in verse 9, his eyes look above the circumstances, which we've learned to do from the book of Psalms. And he sees his God. Even in his sin. Even in his suffering, even if he's being punished, God has not left him. God is with him. Let me offer one warning and two encouragements at this point in the psalm for all who are in Christ. The warning is this. Your sin does not affect only you, but those around you. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is to convince us that our sin can be secret and that our sin will only affect us. What's done in private stays in private. But don't you see here, once the rock hits the pond, you cannot stop the ripples. Your sin affects others. And there's an even greater warning there your sin is against a holy God. In outlining the reasons you should not have sinned, at the top of the list should be the holiness of God. So, there's a warning. And two encouragements. The first is this. Like David, sometimes the Lord may discipline us. However, it will never be out of his anger or wrath, but always out of his love. Two verses clarify this in the New Testament. The first is Hebrews 12.6, which reads... For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And why doesn't he discipline us in wrath? Well, because his wrath was completely satisfied on the cross. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 25 says that we are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation is one of the most beautiful words in the English language because it means that the wrath of God toward our sin is completely satisfied in the work of Christ. That on the cross, Christ stood in our place to absorb the full wrath of God. So not one ounce of God's wrath for you Christians still remains because Christ has borne it all. So what comes to us as sons and daughters 
adopted by God is not His wrath, but love. And when He disciplines us, and in whatever way He disciplines us, it is in love. Why? Because the wrath of God was completely satisfied. The second encouragement is simply this. Let's help one another when we fall into sin. You do this already. I just want to encourage you in it. Let's not be like David's friends or his enemies. When a brother or sister in Christ falls into a sin-sick sort of way, let's not pull back from them in shame or anger, but pursue them in love, calling them to faith and repentance in Christ. This is even part of our church covenant. If you're a member here, you've already committed to this. And I know it's happening throughout our church. But let's care for one another well enough that if someone's heart turns from the Lord and begins to pursue sin, we would walk with them, not towards sin, but pointing them back to Christ. There's a scope to sin sickness. And the final section of the psalm shines with the hope of salvation. Verses 17 to 22. If you step back and and look at this psalm, well, honestly, there's not much brightness to it. Maybe Psalm 77 is the only darker corner in the book of Psalms. If you're looking for an encouraging text to start your day, this is probably not where you'd begin. Likely none of you have passages from Psalm 38 taped up on your bathroom mirror. In fact, you've likely never heard a sermon on Psalm 38 because it's not popular in our day to gather a bunch of people together and tell them what great sinners they are. But as we look carefully, we see that while David is a great sinner, his God is a greater Savior. Before we get to that hope that I'm speaking of, I want to highlight in verses 21 and 22, because we have to trace how David gets there. The psalm doesn't just skip from verse 17 to 23, and for good reason, because what David does with the burden of sin and what he does with the scope of his sin sickness is confess his sin to the Lord. David knows that this act of confession will restore to him the joy of his salvation like he sings in another psalm of confession, Psalm 51, verse 12. It's the act of repentance that is going to restore his communion with God. Perhaps the most important thing that David does in this psalm is found in verse 18 when he sings, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. As we pull back the lens and see this whole psalm and where this fits in, I want to just show us what this teaches us about our own practice of confession of sin. First, we saw in verses 1 through 8 that we must acknowledge our sin before the holiness of God. This is step one. What is the anatomy of a confession? This is where it begins. Acknowledge our sin before the holiness of God. During the first section, David felt the burden of his sin. Uh, In the second, he describes its effect. But from the start, he's gone to God and acknowledged That he has broken God's law and command. He's acknowledged his sin before the holiness of God. Second, confess our sin in genuine repentance. This is a picture of what genuine repentance looks like. The pairing of 
Confession of sin and contrition for sin. Uh, kids, contrition is just an old word that means I'm feeling sorry for it. So we want to confess our sin to God and, and pray that He might move our hearts so we would feel sorrow or contrition over our sin. David does not, he doesn't name a sin. Surely he names it before God, but he didn't want it specifically in the song for you to know about. But he went to his God and confessed it. And there's this awareness of broken fellowship between God and David that breaks his heart. And then the third step, look to God alone for salvation from sin. Look to God alone for salvation from sin. The psalmist concludes by calling three times on the Lord and addressing Him three different ways. In verse 21, he calls God Lord or Yahweh, the covenantal name of God who has promised His faithful love to His people even when they've sinned against Him. Then he uses the phrase, my God, which is an endearing phrase equivalent to my Father. And then finally, he calls Him Lord, my Savior. The word Lord there is like master of the universe who is powerful and able to save. And so that's what we should do. Acknowledge our sinfulness before the holiness of God. Confess our sin in genuine repentance and look to God alone for salvation from sin. Ultimately, this song is sung perfectly on the lips of Christ. How is that possible, you might wonder? He never sinned. Well, Christ would sing this song as the sinless Savior, but the sins that that were weighing on His mind and the sins that took His heart all the way to Calvary were our sins that He would carry all the way to the cross. It was great David's greater son whose friends would flee as he was arrested and carried the cross on his own to Calvary. It was Christ whose enemies schemed his downfall, all while he kept his eyes fixed on his Father, who was never far from him, who was always his help, who was his salvation, even through death into resurrection life. And so... What what can we gather from what David models for us? Well, to you, dear sinner, that's all of you. Call on the Lord, the covenantal God who has promised His steadfast love to you. Cry out, my God, to your Father who rejoices to hear your voice call for Him. Pray to the Lord, your Savior, who alone can forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Perhaps as we read this passage today, you couldn't identify with this at all. You might have some regrets about what you've done, but you've never acknowledged your sin and rebellion before the holy God. Maybe you've not confessed your sin and genuinely repented from the heart for things that you've done and left undone. And maybe you've not turned to Christ alone for your salvation from sin. Today I pray that you would. I pray that you would look into the mirror of God's perfect word and see just how dark your sin is. But you would look to the light of Christ who is here to forgive, 
and to save and to cleanse you regardless of how dark your sin is. And for those of us who are in Christ, what kind of remembering should this cause in us? Well, let us who have felt this kind of conviction in the past, let us remember what sin tasted like, its bitterness, and remember the sweetness and refreshing water of Christ. Let us remember the condition we were in because of our sin, separated from God, deserving His wrath and His anger. Yet how instead we've been given mercy through Christ. I just think how helpful this little hymn we just sang was. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. If ever a psalm was designed to warn us of sin by exposing its consequences, this is it. This song instructs us what to do when we find ourselves under conviction of sin and gives sinners a song of confession to sing. And in the mirror of this anatomy of confession, we find that each of us has known the crushing burden of sin and even felt in our lives the rippling scope of sin sickness. But the birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has given us an unshakable hope in His salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is both a mirror and a light. And I pray even in this challenging text that we would see it as both. We would look into your holiness and see how how far we fall short. And give praise to you for Christ who has drawn us near. I ask this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.